Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Steven Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 241, and today we'll be talking about the 27th issue of the comic book series. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So, Pet Parasha continues to be very different than we've seen in the TV show. Yeah, and not just different, absolutely better. So for anyone who, if, if you've forgotten what's happened since it's been a month <laughs> between each one of these comic releases, we're still in the middle of all of the off-colors being stuck in space along with Lars, and they're all in some kind of trance. And so, weirdly, unlike any of the other off-colors, Pad Paracha is able to see what's actually happening. She appears to be walking among everyone and sees Stephen and Connie rolling around in the bubble. Whereas everyone else is trapped inside their own minds or their own gems. And uh, I was wondering if, since it seems to be based somewhat around people's, their insecurities or fears, this is potentially the most, <laughs> like, brutal realization that could happen in the next comic to be like, oh, Pad Paracha is afraid that she can't see what everyone else normally can see. Like, right now, her vision is of the present uh, and of reality. Which is kind of scary to think that <laughs> that might be her greatest fear. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking, that it's possible that the fear that she's experiencing is, you know, the fear that all she can see is what's happening in the moment. Although she's taking it like a champ, this doesn't seem to be bothering her at all. Maybe subconsciously she realizes that that's how it always is, but it's also possible that that's not what they're going for at all, because it looks like the Rutile twins and Rhodonite are going to be joining them on the bridge very soon. Yes, well, and also, everyone's pretty much taking it well, except for <laughs> Lars. So Lars is kind of the big cliffhanger we get at the end when he confronts oh, Sadie. Oh, yeah. But uh, Rhodonite and the Rutile twins both make a stand against the Robinoid, and Fluorite also takes a stand against the Diamonds in the court. So they're not exactly suffering underneath these visions. They kind of, you know, prove themselves stronger. And I especially enjoyed seeing Rodanite kind of transition a little bit from the cowardice that she's pretty much <laughs> defined by. Like, the image of her, like, hanging on the edge of one of the holes in the kindergarten and then throwing the Rutile twin number one up was... I don't know, pretty epic. I mean, you want to talk about epic. It looks like Fluorite's going to go Super Saiyan on the diamonds in her nightmare. Well, it was crazy how fast the script was flipped, because for a moment, the way the diamonds were talking, I was thinking, oh man, this comic artist is about to draw all six of the parts of Fluorite. Um, but now it looks like maybe the comic artist will just get to draw a whoop down on the diamonds. So mm, That would be fascinating. I, I'm curious, though, what do you think happened when Padparasha in her little, you know, ghost form touches her body? Because, you know, there's definitely some recognition, you know, kind of like when Steven's in his psychic ghost type situation in Reunited. That seems to be very similar to what happens to Padparasha and her body. Yeah, I mean, based on kind of how we know comic artists work as far as lore goes, but the writer can only draw on inspiration from the show. So although they look similar, I know that they don't have any secret knowledge about how that works. <laughs> and so if this is like a thing that's common to gems or not, but uh, at least the way it works with Steven is like Steven can't just like lie down and return back in his body. So I'm assuming Pad Raja isn't going to be able to just wake back up easily. But um, it is strange how all these visions which we were kind of speculating before how this whole nebula thing even worked, like what kind of gem technology this will even be. You know, if it's preying on how gems work and that their consciousness can be outside their gems, 
you know, I guess we'll see. I am so intrigued. I, I'm since since I'm there in the comic, I must say that the full page reveal of Stevani, you know, after breaking the bubble, is amazing. <laughs> Everyone loves seeing Stevani fuse, and they always hype it up for a big moment. So yeah, of course they get the full page. <laughs> I mean, it's like just look at all that pink; it is glorious. Yeah, I mean Stevani boss as always. I love how excited they are every time, too. Like, every time that it seems like it's an obvious solution to become Stevani, you know, it's obvious. But this time, they're like, eh, why do we even need a bubble? I'm sure if we're Stevani, we'll be fine against the nebula. <laughs> and thankfully, they have Pat Prasha, you know, back in, back in the two of them up on that. And it's like, yeah, you'll be cool if you fuse. Yeah. But then again, like, th- this brings us back to the question about issue 28. It's like, I don't see how, you know, back when issue 26 came out, it's like, I don't see how issue 27 can wrap everything up, but why does why does issue 28 sound completely unrelated, or like it's Steven having a nightmare, and then you have Pat Prasha saying, you're not going to have a nightmare. Well, I mean, I, I guess technically, Pat Prasha says they're strong enough to resist the nebula together. What she did not say is that you will not be put into a nightmare. Right, I think they're going to be put under the nightmare, so, yeah. I, they weren't able to catch on that quick. It's amazing how in the first page, second or the second page of the comic, like Connie's like, "Boom! I know that there's a nebula." And then Stephen, who apparently knows way more about astrology and like the universe than me, is like, "Yeah, I don't see any stars. We must be in a nebula." But then, you know, Astronomy, then they, by the way, yeah, right? Not um, not a supernatural or religious belief in stars. Yes. Um, but although uh, I don't know. Maybe Stephen has some special connection with stars now after all this time. I mean, he might have a connection to astrology. He did that run as Zoltron. That's true. I mean, he has a he has a fortune teller in his midst most of, most of the time. But um, yeah, I don't think they really were thinking when they popped out of that bubble. I don't, you know, it, that was just kind of a cartoon logic type decision. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they weren't doing well in the bubble. I think they just want an excuse to fuse and nobody else was looking, so... <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we were talking about the the writer and just, you know, because Ian Jones-Cordy has said in the past that, that this this current run of the comics is definitely non-canon because, you know, Rebecca Sugar does not have a writing credit on it. And I guess that kind of makes me sad, although, although it makes sense. I mean, he also said that when he made the Too Cool for School graphic novel that it was specifically non-canon. Which, I mean, I remember back when we talked about that, we're wondering, how does Steven know so much about these subjects? Maybe that's what he meant when he said he wrote it specifically to be non-canon. Like, show Steven would not know that much about this stuff. Right. I mean, if the show never explains what happened between the last time we saw Lars in, in the show and then when he arrives on the beach and reunites with Sadie, then, you know, at least for me, I kind of feel like this comic series fills the void, even if yeah. Rebecca Sugar's name isn't on it. But they are about to do a confrontation between Lars and Stadie, and real feelings and constructive conversations are about to happen, which I was kind of expecting to see in the show and which just weren't really a part of the vision that got executed. So I don't know if that will happen in the future in the show now that Lars and Sadie reunited, because they kind of still have a bit to talk about. Like, they both grew individually as characters apart from each other but their relationship as far as it happened within the show was never really awesome <laughs> so they kind of got to work yeah. them out they thought they finally learned how to be ordinary boyfriend girlfriend eventually mm. as for i'm not sure that lars is going to have a very productive conversation with fake sadie i mean i'm like at least 
50% thinking that they're going to go with the whole, you know, Sadie saying all these mean things to Lars that Lars thinks about himself. And only then does he realize, wait a minute, you're not the real Sadie. You know, Sadie would never say these things. She's nice. Yeah, I am interested, I guess, to see, too, how the direction of that goes. Because, I mean, we know Lars's insecurities, but he's also really good at never specifically saying them anyway in show. So to hear Sadie say them in the comic will at least reveal to us what the comic writer thinks Lars's insecurities are. But you know what I mean? Like, it's never, you know, sometimes you feel like he's afraid of uh, looking eff- like effeminate or something, even though that's something the show would never say because it doesn't want to reinforce to kids that that's even a thing that they should think about. But, you know, we kind of get, you know, oh, he's sensitive about his cooking or, oh, he's sensitive about being uncool. But it'll be interesting to see. Man, like, go back and watch the the good Lars again, because that scene makes it pretty clear that he has a real problem with being emotionally vulnerable. Right. Yeah. It's like he, he refuses to give you a chance to reject him, but he does this by acting as though you already have. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's very sad. It's very sad. You know, while we're just on the topic, I don't know if we've discussed this before, but it's very strange how the show never gave any motivation to Lars's insecurities other than he just has them. Like, his between how we've seen his family situation is to how he was as a child with, like, <laughs> with Ronaldo. Like, it doesn't seem like he ever had a group of people who bullied him. I mean, as far as we've seen about, like, beach city in general it's like an incredibly supportive community and so i guess it's okay for a character to just i mean people can internally have mental health problems or just insecurities that are naturally grown but he's never had any motivation or external source which for a lot of kids who watch steven universe they probably do deal with actually having real bullies in their lives or bad parents or or any number of things and so you know I don't know. Lars doesn't have (laughs) a lot of reasons to be insecure, so it's really unfortunate that he is. I mean, we've never seen what his school life is like. Yeah, I think that would really help me. (laughs) You know, when Lars was such a jerk early on in the show, before he turned pink, you know, some fans actually didn't like Lars. (laughs) Like, people were like, Lars sucks he's there such were, there a were, jerk there were people out there who didn't like lars it, back before the good lars happened people you know you, we might have forgotten it's been this show has been on for years but people like really hated the character of lars and then like good lars happened and then lars changed colors and then he like changed as a person as that happened yeah. but we could have been so much more empathetic to him earlier if we'd seen a source but i mean maybe that's just how characters are sometimes i mean maybe we don't need that empathy that's kind of the point of the show though that like steven did not know what made lars the way he was in fact he didn't even realize that lars was being a bad person like he just was just such a little bubble of positivity that he's like oh hi lars you know even while lars is being a jerk to him i mean you saw what he was willing to risk for a high five from lars Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a that's an awesome thing for Steven Universe to sort of have in this character of Lars that probably would be a really typical route to give this character some motivation. But, you know, the truth is that just sometimes people are just really insecure about themselves and maybe they don't even have a really good reason to be. And maybe it would be really awesome to see a character go from being insecure and, and jerkish because of that. And then to them realizing, hey, wait, you know, the people around me are just supportive and my friends actually like me and don't hate my ube roll. And also, even if my ube roll did taste terrible, I shouldn't like put the <laughs> put that as like the fulcrum of my like likability and value. 
like like seriously, Lars, you're like you, you're gonna you're gonna feel judged because they don't like an unfamiliar flavor after like Stephen and Sadie like devoured it right in front of you. <laughs> also, the vision he has of the cool kids I thought was an interesting choice because instead of it being like, well, we're predicting like this Sadie showdown he's about to have is going to be her being harsher than normal, at least based on the face we see of her. But the cool kids are just generally kind of like, I could imagine them, if they really didn't like the Uwe Roll, having that reaction in yeah, show. Like, like, they're just kind of like, oh, yeah. They weren't like, oh, God, Lars is a horrible person. Why would he give us this? <laughs> like, they never insult Lars at all. Like, Buck takes it like a champ and it's just kind of like, like, this, this is, is... <laughs> an interesting flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knew what they meant. Maybe that's a worse reaction when your friends try to be supportive yeah. or just avoid comments. That it, then it hurts even more. That's brutal. <laughs> I, do, I do want to know, though, like, what is it with gem technology and being able to so convincingly replicate Onion? Like, that <laughs> shot they have on the middle half of that page of him beckoning for Lars to, to come with him. Beautifully illustrated. Just just marvelous. Yeah, I love how <laughs> everyone seems to know that Onion is a scary dude. <laughs> like, it's not just Steven. Even Lars is somehow cognizant of the fact that when Onion shows up and guides you down the street, you know something freakish yeah, is about like, to happen. <laughs> you're not going to a good place. <laughs> Onion doesn't go to the good places. But yeah, I, I love, I just love the Beach City nighttime color palette, especially as they've interpreted it in comics. And like, oh, that is just a beautiful panel there. Even the fact that they have the the top and bottom panels, like, only partially over it, so you can kind of see the street overlapping, you know, behind them. Great. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> on one condition! <laughs> Get your Jorgen von Strangle on. Yeah. I do, well, now that I'm just clicking, uh, I do like how they did the streetlight lamp, too. It's a cool X that they drew. <laughs> oh, Yeah. That's definitely bringing out that, like, uh, like these are definitely digitally edited comics, right? So I enjoy that kind of effect that you couldn't do with lighting without using um, some kind of digital editing software. That's cool. But yeah, just 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 all the nighttime shots look really good. I, I like how they interpreted the, the show's nighttime aesthetic into the comic. And again, though, I'm just on the edge of my seat wondering what Sadie's gonna gonna say to Lars. Are they are they gonna go with the obvious? Do they have something? entirely different like maybe this Sadie's gonna be the one who tells him how to get out of here who knows well and then there's gonna be a whole other shared vision that Stephen and Connie have and does it meet up with this one and then fluoride and rhodonite are gonna join the ship with tile and rhodonite pad frost yeah but then meanwhile somewhere there's either a hurting gem that is this nebula or some kind of gem tech uh, you know, you know how Ronaldo said he wanted to be one gem all crushed up and running through his blood? What if all that space dust is gem dust? Whoa, that's a huge theory. Because shattered gems are like mentally broken and they're reaching out for other gems trying to put themselves back together. That is a terrifying thought. Oh man. Like, what if this is a dumping ground for powdered gem? Ooh. I mean... I wish they'd explored that more in show ever since Ian Jones Cordy said, oh yeah, by the way, that um that scroll from Together Breakfast was definitely powdered gems. Was that Ian? I thought that was someone else. Can't remember. Maybe it was someone else. Maybe that was Matt Burnett on Twitter. I don't know. Hold on. 
Okay, so apparently it was Joe Johnston. Oh, look at him go. Well, to make certain pigments, you use certain minerals to achieve different colors. Those different pigments get used in inks and paints. See where I'm going with this? That was dark. (laughs) The darkest we've gotten since then is honestly, well, the Force Fusions are pretty bad. I was thinking about the gems in the walls of the palace, but that's definitely not as bad as the horrifying Force Fusions, so never mind. Yeah, the Force Fusions are pretty, pretty scary. I mean, I really like the episode Nightmare Hospital where they introduce those bad boys. Oh, what do you mean? Keeping it together, where Garnet's reaction to those things, and the first time we see him, oh my goodness. That's a top three for me, in case anyone was wondering what my top three was. But I mean, Connie doesn't meet them. Well, that's true. Well, her mom's also really dumb in that episode, but anyway. (laughs) I I still maintain that humans have just something about gems, that like they are blind to it somehow, unless like forced to look. Like, there, there's no way that multiple doctors would look at that thing and be like, oh yeah, car crash victim, otherwise. Oh, so did you have any more thoughts about the comic? I'm kind of hoping that the episode description for issue 28 is wrong and that, you know, it's not Stephen and Connie trapped in another nightmare. I mean, because it looks like everyone's making their way to the ship. It would feel like we're moving backwards in the story if Stephen and Connie got sucked into another nightmare. But then why would they have established the gems at the beginning of this issue unless we were going to go back to them in a later issue? I don't know. Okay, here's my theory. Hopefully it doesn't have too many fireworks in the background. So my theory is that instead of the story just progressing backwards and just having them dealing with some arbitrary nightmare, if this thing is really a gem or sets of gems, powder gems, then we'll advance the story by finding that out in their vision. So they'll actually experience the shared Hmm. consciousness with the gem. That would be a way to progress the story while still dealing with them and making this thing a five-issue comic series. <laughs> hmm. That would be an interesting idea. Not not interesting like the interesting flavor of the Ube roll, though. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I wonder what, I wonder what they're going to do. I'm, I'm just going to have, have to watch out for what the episode description is, or for what the issue description is, I should say. Maybe it changes. I, I doubt it will. I can't believe we're at the point now in Steven Universe where we're not even reading episode descriptions. We're just hanging on to comic descriptions <laughs> and hoping so dearly. It's the same problem again, repeated in comic form. But, you know, before before we go, I do want to say I, I was really complaining about issue 26's cover, having Emerald on it and like her not really being a factor there. Uh, this cover, much more true to the experience of the comic. And another thing I like about comics is, uh, at least with Comixology, they show you all the alternate covers that they have. And there's just one with all, like, Pearl and all of her fusions. Because why not? It's completely unrelated, but... Pearl is technically in the issue. Right, on page one. But (laughs) just her, not all of her fusions. But hey, it's cool art. Go make a poster of that. You know, but you just got Stefani, you got Lars, and you got the mi- lion's main world that, you know, Stephen and Connie used to get to Lars. Like, boom. Very, this is what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's such an awesome cover. I was thinking about setting off some fireworks tonight. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll just wait for my neighbors to finish. Still salty, huh? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. I'm good. <laughs> yes, let the salt flow through you. Uh, I mean, we got to get to Beach City Con, right? How many quarters are we at? Like $1.25? I think oh, we need boy. some more salt. <laughs> anyway, guys, that's been us on issue 27 of the comic. 
Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening.